the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. Peter has been the most prominent figure in the book of Acts, and that's because Peter's primary responsibility as an apostle is to preach the gospel to the Jewish people. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul refers to him as the apostle to the circumcision, meaning the Jewish people. But now, with the gospel on the move, and it's moving toward the Gentile lands, Peter, although we'll still see him in the book of Acts, with the last reference to him being in chapter 15, Peter, though, will no longer be the dominant figure of the book. Instead, at the end of chapter 7, we are introduced to another man, a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus, who will become the most aggressive persecutor of the church. Then in chapter 9, we will read about Saul's conversion to Jesus. And then starting in chapter 13 until the close of the book, Saul, now known as Paul, will become the leading character in Acts. Because from this point on, The emphasis in Acts will be the gospel going to the Gentile world, and Paul will become the apostle to the Gentiles, even taking the gospel to the greatest city of that day, the capital city of the Gentile world, Rome. Verse by Verse, where we are starting a new series today with our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Many Christians today would be familiar with God's Hall of Faith, which we find in Hebrews chapter 11. The individuals were Old Testament men and women of faith who suffered greatly at the hands of those who hated God. Even though those mentioned in Hebrews 11 were people of incredibly noble character, They were never recognized as such in their lifetime. As we start this new series today, we are going to be talking about a biblical character who has the credentials to be in Hebrews 11. He was a man of great faith who was deeply hated by the religious leaders of his day. I am referring to, (laughs) I tell you what, I'm going to let Pastor Steve tell you who we will be studying in our new series on Verse by Verse. A few minutes ago, I read to you from Hebrews chapter 11 because it contains a statement that's so important, a statement that never fails to move me when I read it. It is the statement found in verse 38 in which the writer to the Hebrews says, after speaking about the mistreatment of some of the most godly people who have ever walked this earth, he says, men of whom the world was not 
worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains, caves and holes in the ground. These individuals were Old Testament men and women of faith who because of their faith, because of their godliness, they suffered greatly at the hands of those who really hated the Lord, didn't want to hear about him. And even though they were people of incredibly noble character, They were never recognized as such, not in their lifetime. In fact, according to these verses in Hebrews, the people of that day held them in such low regard that they felt they were unworthy of any respect, but deserving only of ill treatment and even death, as the text tells us. However, the writer to the Hebrews says that just the opposite was true. He said the world was not worthy of them. In other words, their character was so much greater than the people who persecuted and killed them that the world didn't even deserve such godly individuals. Now this morning, we're going to see another godly individual, another great man who the world was not worthy of, a man who had he lived during Old Testament times would no doubt have been included in this list of heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11. The man I'm referring to is named Stephen, and he was the first Christian to ever die for his faith in Christ. His story is told across two chapters in the book of Acts, chapters 6 and 7. In chapter 6, we are introduced to Stephen, and in chapter 7, we hear him as he stands before the Sanhedrin, once again, the high council, we hear him defending himself of accusations leveled against him. He gives them a long Old Testament history of the nation of Israel. It's a history lesson, and he does this not simply to give them a lesson, but he does this in order to make a point, and the point being that just like their ancestors, he tells them, they're stiff-necked, They're rebellious. And that's why now he says you are resisting the truth that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. Notice what he says. If you look at Acts chapter 7, we're jumping ahead now, but I'm setting the stage so that you understand a little bit about Stephen and the background of what we're about to study. Notice in Acts 7 verses 51 through 53, he says, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, that's the Messiah, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Now, as one could certainly understand, these words made them so furious so enraged that instead of following the previous advice given to them, remember by Gamaliel, who said, listen, do nothing, wait and see what happens to this Christian movement. If it's of God, you can't stop it. If it's not, it'll die out by itself. They didn't follow his advice. Instead, they cried out against him. They actually covered their ears because they couldn't stand to hear what Stephen was saying. They grabbed hold of the man. They dragged him out of the city where they stoned him to death, making him the first Christian martyr. Listen closely, because the story of Stephen and his death is not told in the book of Acts simply because it's of historical interest. It's not it at all. 
It's not simply because it was historically significant that he was the first believer in Christ to die for his faith. No, Stephen's death is highlighted in Scripture because his martyrdom was the turning point in the gospel message spreading from the city of Jerusalem out into the world. As you'll recall, Jesus had commissioned the apostles to take the gospel to the furthermost parts of the world. He said that in Acts 1.8, before he ascended back to heaven, he said, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both here in Jerusalem and in all Judea, that's the region where Jerusalem is located, and in Samaria, that's a little bit further, and even to the remotest part of the earth. But listen, up to this point in our study of Acts, and we've covered several chapters well into the book, the gospel message of salvation in Christ, it's remained in the city of Jerusalem. It's gone nowhere beyond this city. But with the killing of Stephen, all of that is going to change because his violent death will be the catalyst that will cause the anger of the Sanhedrin against Christ to turn into violent, murderous persecution against the church, with the results being that now the church, Jerusalem, the believers, will be forced to flee the city. And in doing so, they will take the gospel message with them, telling people wherever they go about Christ, where? First in the province of Judea, then to Samaria, and finally to the Gentiles living even in the outermost parts of the Roman Empire. Let's jump ahead to Acts chapter 8, starting in the middle of verse 1. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. And watch this, verse 4. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. These believers, as they scatter, they proclaim the gospel wherever they go. And the story now of Acts and its main character begins to change. See, up to this point, Peter has been the most prominent figure in the book of Acts. And that's because Peter's primary responsibility as an apostle is to preach the gospel to the Jewish people. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul refers to him as the apostle to the circumcision, meaning the Jewish people. But now, with the gospel on the move, and it's moving toward the Gentile lands, Peter, although we'll still see him in the book of Acts, with the last reference to him being in chapter 15, Peter, though, will no longer be the dominant figure of the book. Instead, at the end of chapter 7, we are introduced to another man, a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus, who will become the most aggressive persecutor of the church. Then in chapter 9, we will read about Saul's conversion to Jesus. And then starting in chapter 13 until the close of the book, Saul, now known as Paul, will become the leading character in Acts. Because from this point on, The emphasis in Acts will be the gospel going to the Gentile world, and Paul will become the apostle to the Gentiles, even taking the gospel 
to the greatest city of that day, the capital city of the Gentile world, Rome. And folks, I remind you, that is the primary message and the primary purpose of the book of Acts. It's to explain how the gospel traveled from the relatively small and obscure Middle Eastern city of Jerusalem all the way across the vast Roman Empire to the greatest city of that day, Rome. But listen, standing in the gap, functioning as a bridge linking these two apostles, Peter and Paul, stands Stephen. Because it was his death that sparked the persecution that drove the gospel from the Jewish world to the Gentile world. And this morning, we're going to begin to find out how this happened by examining the event that escalated into Stephen's trial and then his defense before the Sanhedrin that, as you know, ends with his violent death. Here's how Luke explained what happened. Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. They put forth false witnesses who said, this man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. And we've heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. Now, as you recall from our last study, Stephen was one of the seven men chosen by the Jerusalem church to be in charge of distributing food to the widows of that church. Acts chapter 6 verse 5 says this, the statement found approval with the whole congregation and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And what's interesting about how Luke presents these names is that Stephen is not only the first name mentioned on this list, but he's the only one on this list that is described as a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Now, this certainly doesn't mean that the other men were not men of faith or under the Spirit's control, because according to verse 3, they all had to be men of good reputation and full of the Spirit and of wisdom. However, what it does seem to indicate is that there was something very special about Stephen's character that was evident to all, so much so that his godliness made him stand out even among other great and godly men. And that's significant because in telling us about Stephen, Luke doesn't simply tell us about the incident that got him arrested. But listen closely. Rather, he weaves throughout this story information about Stephen's character that made him so special and so godly. And in doing so, what Luke does is he presents Stephen as a godly role model for us, for every believer in Christ, to emulate. And what's so fascinating about Stephen as a role model 
is that his ministry was absolutely brief. It was short. And yet he stands out as one of the greatest men who has ever lived. Like the Old Testament heroes of faith, it could be said of Stephen that the world was not worthy of him. I love the way John MacArthur explains the significance of Stephen's life and character. He writes, and I quote, Stephen was a key figure in the early history of the church. But apart from his historical role, he was significant because of his character. He was proof that the impact of a man's life and ministry has nothing necessarily to do with length. His ministry, though brief, was essential to God's plan for world evangelism. He showed that the efforts of one courageous person, though short in duration, can have far-reaching effects. That the world failed to recognize Stephen's greatness comes as no surprise, he writes. The world measures success by popularity, prestige, or material wealth, and thus fails to understand true greatness. After all, they killed Jesus, beheaded Paul, executed Peter, and persecuted the church. Although the people judged Stephen a blasphemer and killed him, he was one of the noblest and most powerful men who ever lived. It's no exaggeration to place him on par with the likes of Abraham, Moses, Elijah, David, John the Baptist, and the apostles. End of quote. And this morning, the Lord has given us the great privilege of studying this passage of Scripture so that we learn what made Stephen so special, and then we seek to emulate him by God's grace. Now, as Luke unfolds the incident that led to Stephen's arrest and subsequent trials, I told you, he intersperses this account with statements about Stephen's character by telling us about six godly virtues that characterized this man. We begin by looking at the first virtue, which is that Stephen was a man of faith. Now, to start this, we go back actually to verse 5. That's when we were first introduced to Stephen as one of the first deacons at the Jerusalem church. And Luke describes him as a man of faith. And what Luke means by this is that Stephen was not only a believer in Jesus Christ, he obviously had trusted Christ to be his Savior and Lord, but also that Stephen's life went beyond just initial salvation. His life was marked as a man who was characterized by deep faith, deep trust in the Lord. See, this Greek word that's translated full, as in full of faith, means to be under the control of faith. It means to be dominated by faith. It is the same word that Paul will use in Ephesians 5.18 to say, be filled with the Spirit. It simply means be under the control of the Holy Spirit. So when Luke tells us, Luke being the human writer of Acts, tells us that Stephen was full of faith, he means that he was a Christian who was controlled by faith. His life was dominated by confidence in God. His thinking was ruled by his trust in the Lord. And the faith that dominated and controlled him was his confidence that the Bible was true, that it was the word of God. Stephen believed with all of his heart what scripture said. And why do I say that? How do we know this? Because of what the man tells the Sanhedrin in chapter 7. He starts off, I told you, he gives them a whole Jewish history lesson. These are the leaders, the spiritual leaders of Israel, yet he's teaching them. He starts off his defense before the council. He goes back in verse 2 
he goes back to Genesis 11 and he reviews the history of the Jewish people starting with Abraham. And then he continues highlighting Old Testament events. He speaks of Jacob and Joseph being in Egypt. Then he tells them of the story of the Exodus involving leaving Egypt involving Moses as the leader, then the giving of the law to Israel and Moses, and once again, Moses' leadership over the nation. Then he speaks of Israel coming into the land of Canaan, and eventually in the days of Solomon building the magnificent temple in Jerusalem. And then finally, at the end of all of this Jewish history, he speaks of his own faith in Jesus, the righteous one, as the Messiah, and he accuses the Sanhedrin, of murdering him. And his faith is so strong, so in-depth, that while he's being stoned to death, life ebbing away from him, he calmly faces death. Why? Because of his trust in Jesus Christ to receive him into heaven. Notice what we read, chapter 7, verses 55 through 59. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, meaning God the Father. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and they covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him and the witnesses laid beside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord. And notice he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. See, Stephen's faith was such that even in death, he was looking to the Lord confident that Christ, having died for his sins, had forgiven his sins. And he knew he was going to go to heaven when he died. Listen, he believed the Bible. With all of his heart, he lived trusting the word of God. He died trusting the word of God. Stephen is a man for us to emulate because he's a man who reminds us of Christ. This is how he lived, being full of faith. And that's exactly how all of us should live. The writer to the Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's not how all of us live, though. Even if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, that you have placed your trust, your confidence in Him for all of eternity, that Christ is your Savior, you may still find that you have a hard time trusting Him for other things in life. And so you struggle with worry, with fear, anxiety, even jealousy, resentment, anger. Why? Because you are not trusting God to be who His Word reveals Him to be. He is the sovereign one. The sovereign one, meaning that he is in control of every single event and detail in life. Not only in world history, but in your life and in my life, today and tomorrow and every day. Now, if you are a true Christian, then, as I said, you have faith in Jesus Christ to save you for all of eternity. But the kind of faith that Stephen had, that Luke tells us about, that all of us should have, is faith that God is sovereign. So that you not only intellectually believe that he's in control of world events, but you believe with all of your heart that he's in control of every single event and circumstance in your life. And you trust him. You believe that there are no accidents. There's no such thing as luck. 
There's no such thing as chance. You trust him, but you trust him for what? Well, you trust him that he's using all the events of life to make you more like Jesus Christ in terms of your character. This is what the Apostle Paul teaches us about the sovereignty of God in Romans 8, verses 28 and 29. Here's what Paul said. And we know, not that we understand this, but we know this, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. What Paul is teaching us is that God is so sovereign, though he doesn't use the word sovereign here, this is obviously his point. God is so sovereign that he uses everything in your life and in my life, the good, the bad, the neutral. He uses all of that and causes all of that to work together for good. So the question is, what good is that? What is he talking about? The next verse explains it. Ah, but we are going to have to wait until our next verse-by-verse session to hear that next verse on how the Apostle Paul explains what he means in Romans chapter 8. Today was our first in a series of messages titled Stephen's Defense. One thing I've noticed as I've read through Acts chapter 6 is that Stephen acted far better in his situation than I think I would have acted. Be that as it may, we have a lot more to learn about Stephen's defense before the religious leaders of his day. Pastor Steve will be back with us on our next verse by verse as we continue to study in Acts chapter 6. At that time, we will also hear the continuation of what Pastor Steve was telling us about Romans chapter 8 verses 28 and 29. So please join us next time for Verse by Verse. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.